0: Welcome to the Abortion Recovery Network podcast. We are group leaders helping group leaders with abortion recovery ministry through informal and casual conversations. Your hosts are Linda Keener Thomas, founder and board chair of the National Memorial for the Unborn, and Mindy Lefishore, founder of an Even Place virtual abortion recovery ministry. As I began an Even Place in January 2022, I wanted to talk with other abortion recovery ministry leaders to share the vision I had and learn whatever I could about abortion recovery ministry. As I talked to some amazing women who I now call friends, I was surprised to learn they were as eager as I was to hear from other leaders. An idea was birthed to start a podcast of leaders by leaders for leaders from all over to share experiences, ideas, challenges, joys, and learn from one another while doing your laundry, cooking your dinner, or driving in your car. Linda and I met the fall of 2022. I shared this idea with her and she jumped on board. Our desire is to allow you to enter our conversations with other abortion recovery leaders, learn the nuts and bolts of how they lead their groups, and connect with one another to build a strong network of leaders helping leaders reach the millions suffering with an abortion experience. Hello everybody. So we are here today with the abortion recovery network again, and, uh, Linda Keener Thomas and I are hosting today. And we have as a guest, Robin Fuller, we are going to be talking about burnout, how to avoid it. What are the signs of it? And just kind of get her take on this. She's been, um, In the pregnancy center world and has been coaching for a while and I'm going to turn it over to you in just a minute Robin to kind of just tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got here. Um, But before we do I just want to make an announcement that at the first of the year we are changing the name of abortion recovery network to forward with purpose. And that will be the podcast It the content is going to be the same, the link will still be the same we're just going to change the name and the logo. So, um, we are bringing this under, uh, forward with purpose coaching, which is something that I have started doing, which I'm so excited to have a Robin on. Um, cause hopefully sometime we can talk more about that for everybody. Um, but I just want to kind of give that, uh, update on our name change that'll happen January, 2024. Did I say that? I don't know if I said that. So uh, Linda, just give us a quick update. What's happening with the virtual memorial at the National Memorial for the Unborn and any other exciting things that you guys are embarking on?
1: Great. Thank you, Mindy. And this has been so much fun to to get to interview um, the leaders and, and those that are out there doing the front lines work and, and casual conversation, as Mindy always says. And um, yes, I'm, I'm on the board of the National Memorial for the Unborn. And um, we are in the process, as Mindy said, of doing a virtual wall in addition to the 50-foot granite wall. Um, with over 3,000 names on it, um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, the names are from all over the country and even several other countries. Um, and it's, it's on the very ground that um, was an abortion clinic for 18 years. The, the innocent blood of 36,000 babies was shed on the very ground where the wall is. So it's a very, um, we believe, redeemed and sacred place but we want to take it to more people because as you read the names, it's powerful. Uh, It it puts a face on abortion that that most people don't think about. It shows the grief, it shows the healing um, and it shows the dignity of these children and that people are mourning them. So anyway, the virtual wall will be coming out in 24 um, and we invite anyone that has lost children to abortion to be a part of that. So that's our big project right now. That's beautiful. How about with an even place?
0: Um, oh, gosh. Well, we're getting ready to go into our season of break. So um, we just finished up. We had a really good uh, year. Um, ministering to women with abortion recovery. I have uh, been able to coach some women through um, the pregnancy centers and uh, just been real exciting to see what God is doing. But I want to give you listeners just one, a, a little bit of a taste of what we're going to have next year for our uh, guests. We're going to have Serena Dykeson back on. We're going to have Sarah Hamilton on. She's going to be talking about workshops that can be done post abortion recovery to kind of keep those um, relationships going and help these women further. We're going to have Steve Seiler on from music for the soul. And if you aren't familiar with music for the soul, I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast and how we can use this kind of music written specifically for certain kinds of trauma, abortion being one of them. Um, we're going to have Sarah Loy back on. Um, Jill Marquis is going to come back on. We have a friend of mine named Adriana Camp coming on. She's going to be talking about how she does her memorials. It's very sweet. Um, And we're just, we're have in the lineup, which I hope. Now, if any of these people are listening and they're not on yet, then this is a, um, a good plug for them when I get in contact with them. But Bob Hershey's going to come on, talk about men and abortion. Um, we want to have Amy Garner on also talking about men and abortion. And if that piques your interest, why we're having a woman on, it should, because she is ministering to more men than women right now in abortion recovery. So we want to have her on to talk about that and maybe open up some ideas for us as women to help um, reach these men so that they can be raised up and they can go forward. But we have about 13 other amazing leaders. Terry Baxter from HC Helpline is coming on. Renee Kitchen from If Not For Grace is coming on. We have a lot of amazing leaders. And then Lisa Davis from Deeper Still as well is going to be coming on. And um, it's going to be a good year. We're already uh, scheduled out into later next year. So I'm really, really excited. If you are listening and you are getting anything from this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and, um, please contact me. Let me know if there is something that you want to hear about, um, that you want to learn about. Maybe you want to come on and talk about, um, we'd love to have you. This is for all of us as leaders. Linda and I aren't doing this because we know what we're doing. We're doing this because we want (laughs) to learn. And we just thought we'd invite y'all into the conversation. So, um, now i want to get to our guest she's been sitting there waiting very patiently the beautiful (laughs) smile on her face so robin just tell us a little bit about how you got here and um about your coaching
2: well thank you guys so much for having me on and i hope that uh my story can be an inspiration for some i have a pretty crazy story at the age of 20 i got kicked out of a prestigious christian university for being pregnant And within a week I found myself at an abortion clinic having an abortion to try to cover up my sin, Uh, it was devastating and that experience really led me down a pretty dark path, yet God was always faithful to me fast forward five years i'm uh, 25 years old and i'm in a failing marriage separated from my ex-husband hoping for reconciliation and god had had told me that i was called to work with women and help heal their hurts but i was still surprised when he handpicked me to be the director of my first pregnancy center at the tender age of 25. i had no idea what i was doing but there were some precious social workers at this particular pregnancy center who helped me heal from that abortion i had had And not only that, but God gave me an incredible gift. And I don't have time to go into the whole story here, but gave me an incredible gift of meeting my son I had aborted through a vision. We had a full conversation. He told me how much he loved me, how he forgave me, and that he hoped, couldn't wait to see me someday. And his name is Daniel James. And I think of him every day and my story what's so crazy about it is i was still separated from my ex-husband when i met steve steve was fun so much fun that we found ourselves after hours in the pregnancy center taking a pregnancy test and it was positive so abortion this time was not an option so i prepared to resign knowing the board would fire me just as that college had kicked me out right so i'm still married and now i'm pregnant with another man's child So I went to that board meeting in October of 1990, ready to resign. But those precious people looked at me and they said, Robin, you're the reason we exist. Not only can you stay in the job, but we're going to support you. And the board chairman is the only one at that meeting who didn't say a word. But two days later, I got a card in the mail from him saying, Robin, I know your parents live far away. And I would love to be a father to you and a grandfather to your child so talk about grace that Uh pregnancy was my final all in with the Lord. And from that day forward I chose to live for him 100% Steve and I got married uh, six days before our oldest son was born and we've been married for almost 33 years now. And I went on to be the director of two additional pregnancy centers for more than 23 years. And I personally know of lives saved through my time in ministry, and it's such a blessing. But I had received so much benefit from my own coaching. I had received while I was an executive director that when I was on my one-time sabbatical, I heard God starting to ask me to leave. And i didn't know when that would be but i also heard him whisper to me that i could do for others what my coach had done for me Mm. and a few years before i left i approached my board at that second pregnancy center and asked if they would consider paying for my coaching education after all most in the pregnancy center movement are not well compensated so i got bold and i asked and they said yes but they didn't know when they said yes, that they would be impacting hundreds of pregnancy center leaders into the future. So that's what I do now. I became a coach with hopes of building some retirement funds because in the pregnancy center movement, often there are not retirement funds or many benefits for those leaders. And I was gonna work with high-end executives and fill my coffers, but God laughed, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And he when he tells us uh, that our plans are not his plans and he's like, no, Robin, you're going to work with pregnancy center leaders who better to help them than someone who has walked their path. Mm-hmm. So I'm now a professional certified coach through the International Coaching Federation with more than a thousand coaching hours, and I have served hundreds of pregnancy center leaders and their teams around the globe. That is beautiful. I, I love your story. I know we've talked about this before.
0: I love the response of your board. Uh You know, I mean, what better way to display grace and mercy, you know, and you are, you were the very client that they were serving. They just didn't know they were serving you as a staff as well, you know? Yeah. So I just think that is just a sweet Testament to grace and mercy.
2: I wish it happened more often. I have heard of pregnancy center leaders getting fired.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm gonna be careful not to go down that road because um, I, we could go down the road of mercy and not come back. So uh, we're going to go down the road of burnout. Now, did you ever experience a burnout in your
2: time in ministry. Oh my goodness. Yes. I remember calling a pregnancy center executive director friend. And I said, Debbie, Debbie, I'm done. I'm going to quit. And she said, no, 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 no. You need to call Dawn. Uh, Dawn was my first coach. And um, so she is the one who connected me with him through that coaching experience. That basically saved me from, from quitting and walking away from a ministry God had called me to.
0: Wow. So for you, what we, how would you define burnout?
2: Well, so burnout is just really prolonged stress and frustration that goes on for a really long time. So um, burnout typically begins with compassion fatigue. So compassion fatigue is that the definition is um, physical and mental exhaustion, and emotional withdrawal experienced by those who care for sick or traumatized people over an extended period. And in ministries, you have people who are helping and caring for sick or traumatized people facing difficult situations. So whether it's an unplanned pregnancy or feeding the hungry or housing the homeless, right? Working in a helping ministry can lead to compassion fatigue, which if left untreated can lead to burnout
1: boys um, and abortion recovery fits right in that because it fits right. We are with dealing with some deep, deep stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah and
0: you know, stuff. you say sick or traumatized people, that could be people in our own house that could not be part of the ministry. So, cause we, mm-hmm. we don't live in a, in these little compartments, you know, everything that we do touches each other. And so we get a, yeah. a sick family member or, you know, uh, a parent is, you know, really sick or maybe they're dying, you know, whatever, these things are or people that are get traumatized around us. And that affects everything that we do too, because we carry that into our ministry.
2: Yeah. So one definition I found of burnout is, uh, the exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation usually due to prolonged stress or frustration. Um, so typically compassion fatigue comes on quickly. It's a little easier to deal with. Burnout sometimes happens over years and it's, it's much more difficult to, uh, to heal or to fix. And both compassion fatigue and burnout have many of the same symptoms. It's just that those symptoms for those who are facing burnout are um, heightened or greater or deeper than the symptoms if you're in uh, facing compassion fatigue. You know,
0: I heard you say just a minute ago with that second definition, um, that it can be physical or emotional, right? And um, I tend to, I, I'm almost going to disagree with that to a little bit. And I um, mean, I, and you can correct me because I could be wrong, <laughs> but just from my, my personal experience with burnout um, and, you know, I. I may have said this before, but I read a lot of books about missionaries and people that God does extraordinary things through because they're just ordinary people and gives me hope. Right. And um, what I read and what I um, it, read through their lives is that they almost always get to a point where physically they're, they're spent, they're, they're physical, their bodies are sick. You know, they need to go mm-hmm. rest. Their people that are working with them are like, please take a sabbatical please. And they won't leave. But then when they get to wherever that sabbatical place is, their mind starts going because their mind isn't spent. Mm -hmm. And whereas burnout for me, my, my body was, I had some health issues going on, but my body wasn't spent, but my mind had come to its complete capacity. I couldn't go Mm -hmm. an inch further in my mental space and in my mental abilities, emotionally or otherwise.
2: And uh, so talk, talk about that a little
0: bit, what you think.
2: Well, I think burnout for each person is gonna be different. It really depends on the season of life they're in. Uh, It depends on uh, what has brought that burnout on. Um, Is it things that they themselves have done or allowed? Or is it uh, things that other people are doing? So, I mean, the symptoms of burnout are just, they're just gonna be different for everybody. Uh, It may begin with simple irritability and, and worry maybe some high blood pressure, insomnia, and headaches. But if left untreated, it can lead to a really long list and some on the some things on the list, procrastination, increasing conflict, missing deadlines, cynicism. That was one of the biggest ones for me. I was so cynical. I no <laughs> longer I just no longer cared about the clients or the patients or my staff or my family. I was just Socially withdrawn, apathy, depression, substance abuse, heart disease, hopeless discouragement, and even suicidal thoughts. So the list can be pretty extensive.
0: Yeah. And that cynicism is interesting to me because it starts with compassion fatigue. And yeah. so this this overflowing of compassion that we have in our heart to help those who, because we've been helped or Mm -hmm. through something they're going through, or because we just have, you know, just a heart for whatever it is they're going through, whether we've experienced it or not. And yet it can turn into cynicism. So you, you cross that threshold and it goes from one to the other. And I find that interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: You know, the Bible doesn't talk specifically about burnout. um, But I think there's probably some examples. Are there, are there some biblical foundations that you share with people or illustrations of, of burnout in the Bible?
2: Well, one just simple one. When you think about Jeremiah, remember when Jeremiah was like, I'm done. I am just done. And God's like, here's some food and some water. Now go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the Bible does talk a lot about self-care. He talked, you know, um, God encourages us to to consider ourselves, right? We do need to think about ourselves, even though it feels so selfish and it feels weird, but there's that whole oxygen mask thing, right? Put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others. And it's really true. If your own soul is so weary that you have nothing left to give, it's important to withdraw. I mean, Jesus was the best example. Here are all these people clamoring for him. And what does he do? He withdraws. He put that time with the Lord first.
1: Mm. Mm, That's good. I think that's key
2: right there for Mm
0: -hmm. all the uh, um, self-care labels that are out there, because Jesus actually spent his whole body to the cross. I mean, he gave his body Mm -hmm. to the point to the cross. He wasn't concerned about his physical welfare. Um, You know, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me when the disciples are like, you need to eat. And he's like, I got food that you don't know of. And, um, but yet I think that point that you bring up is the withdrawing to be with the father. And Mm -hmm. personally, I think what happens to a lot of us is, um, and well, this is what happened with me for sure is, um, I started dwindling my time with the Lord. That started. That was the first thing that I started skimping on. Oh well, I'm so busy. Let me skimp on this part of my day, you know, and um, I'll catch up with that later. Or the God knows me, or I'm filled for from yesterday. You know what I'm saying?
2: Like, yeah, I think Satan definitely uses busyness yes. as one of the most destructive things. And I don't know if you've heard the acronym B U S Y. Buried under Satan's yoke yes i have you know which which truly if satan can keep us so busy then we don't focus on those truly important things right there's the tyranny of the urgent those urgent things just keep us spinning so we don't take time for those things that are truly important in our life and i remember that first coach i had um, the very first question he asked me was robin how many hours a week are you working and I said, 40. And he said, okay, so you see a donor and a supporter in the grocery store and they ask you about work. Are you working? And I said, well, yeah, I'm in work mode. And he said, well, then that person at church stops you and asks you how things are going at the pregnancy center. and..." Are you in work mode? And I'm like, yes. And he said, then you're at home and you open your laptop and you're looking at your emails. Are you working? And I said, yes. And he said, and then you're laying awake at night and you're stewing about different things that are work related. Are you working? And I said, yes. He said, let me ask you again. How many hours a week are you working? And when I got honest with myself, it was more like 70 to 80 and um, it just was not sustainable.
0: Right. And I heard somebody else, or maybe I read it in a book recently. I think I read it in a book. I wish I would have gotten that book out. I wasn't thinking about it. A great book actually. And they were talking about how we have boundaries that are just a part of this world. We have time boundaries. We have physical boundaries. We have the need to sleep. That's a boundary. We can't stay up forever. We have the need to eat. You know, these are these things that we've been constrained to that are just the things that we have to do to keep our body going. Right. And, um, so yeah, working 70, I guess that's my point is working 70 to eight hours a week is, is not sustainable when, mm-hmm. but what is, how does that look practically in our lives? Cause there's going to be seasons where we might have to do that. How do we know when to stop? Hmm.
2: Well, as I worked with my coach, he really started asking me things and they were pretty deep questions. I didn't have an easy answer. I had to go really ponder things like what things in your life are. What is life giving to you? What brings you life? What brings you joy? And I had to really go think about that together with the Lord, what are those things? And then he you know, turned it around. What are those things that are draining the life out of you? And then we began on a path. He would also ask difficult questions like, okay, um, how would you like to look different as a leader a year from now? And then we started um, laying out a path of how to get there. One of the things that I've done for over 17 years is I take a personal retreat every year. It is me, God, my Bible, and my journal, nobody else for two nights and three days. And I go with intentionality and with a purpose. I, uh, together with the Lord, how am I really doing, God? How am I really doing with you? Are the fruits of the spirit evident in my life, and I go through every one of those fruits, am I really being gentle, Um, what is am I being good. So when you really take the time to think about that and you know come up with an example where can you see that and then kind of on the flip side what what am I, where am I kind of floundering. What's not going so well? So it takes a, there's a painful element to coaching, right? Because it's getting uh, real before the Lord and before your coach and taking all those masks off and uh, just really being comfortable to be with yourself and who you are and trying to become more like, like Jesus. Yeah. So, and just, just to
0: keep on that track for just one minute on the retreat track, because I think that's really good. And I think hopefully our listeners are grabbing hold of that and saying, wait a minute, maybe I could do this. So you get to the retreat and you're going through these questions. What, um, when you, when you leave, what are you leaving with? What's, what's the outcome going to be when you get home?
2: Well, I have, a, I have a two-part thing that I do in my retreat, but I want to say, first of all, I have a couple of friends who have told me I could never be alone with all those voices in my head. Yeah, that's true. And I'm like, those voices in your head are you. Mm-hmm. Some of those voices either need to be shut down because they're lies from the enemy, mm-hmm. or you need to learn to be able to hear God's spoken truth over who you are. It's who you are, right? So that grieves me when I hear people say that, uh, that they're afraid to be alone. But now I, so my vision, the last retreat I took, which was just last month, I saw God with the biggest smile on his face at the the Airbnb where I rented. He couldn't wait for me to get there. Mm. He's like, Robin, hurry and get here because I know I'm gonna have you all to myself. No distractions, nothing else. And so what I do in the retreat that I that I lead, because I lead retreats, but then in my personal retreat is we reflect back and try to be honest over the last year or so. How am I really doing in all these different areas with my family, with my church, at work, as a leader, in my relationship with God? We look at all those areas and it's times of deep reflection And then once you kind of feel like you've got that wrapped up, then we look forward. Okay, God, let's look forward to the next year. And how am I hoping things will be different? What do you want me to do? So for a simple example, one year I was feeling very uh, lonely. I didn't feel like I had very many female friendships. So I heard God ask me, who do you wanna be friends with? And so I identified three women and God said, okay, text them, pray for them, and try to get together with them, right? Pretty simple. One of them was kind of walking away from the Lord, so that kind of ended. The second one moved, but the third one, um, her husband was dealing with a cancer battle, and everybody in their lives had backed out, and so when I connected with her, it became a beautiful friendship, and we're still friends to this day. So there's goals, there's objectives, there's, there's things. So when I come back, I kind of have a plan and it got so important in my life that even my pregnancy center staff would look at me sometimes and say, Robin, isn't it time for your personal retreat? You're getting a little bit edgy, you're getting a little bit, you know, there's a sharpness to you because when I came back, I had that gentleness. I okay. had that confidence, I had yeah. that joy, I had that renewed relationship with God. And sometimes I just took a nap yeah, because That's, it was what I needed.
0: You know what I I'm just thinking about how um, the relationship between you and your staff, it was so good that they felt safe to come to their boss and say, hey, uh, it's time for your <laughs> retreat.
2: <laughs> well, and when, you they first, when they and I first when they first heard about it, they were jealous. And even my husband was like, "What? You're going to go on a vacation without me?" But even he now is like, "Oh, it's time for your personal retreat. Okay, I'll be praying for you." You <laughs> nice,
1: know, nice. I think one of the I things she that. said really struck me too, and I, and I think of it's, it might be the secret for Jesus having, you know, but. Like we said, spent himself physically and everything else, but he was oh, he was so hearing from God what God wanted him to do, and not picking up what everybody else wanted him to do, um, that that gave him that focus to to do it. And you know, I'm just coming, Robin. I'm just coming off of doing two um, simultaneous um, abortion recovery. Bible study groups, mm-hmm. weekly groups. and um, I've really been praying about this this week. You know, it's it's like and what you were saying about the time, you know, including that list, the time you spent praying for these women and carrying their loads, mm-hmm. You know, that that takes that to over 80 hours a week because they're, you know, while you're in these groups, you are carrying um and and lifting them before the throne constantly, which is what we're supposed to do. But how do we do that with passion and in prayer and not carry the weight? Are you understanding the difference? You know, to be doing this without personally and emotionally carrying it but leaving it in God's hands. Where's the balance there?
2: Well, I had one of my staff members came up with a phrase, you know, in the pregnancy center world, there is this pressure to save a life, right? Mm. And if I don't save a life, I have failed. And I had one client recently um, who said that she needed to be available 24-7 because what if that woman called at that moment of her need? And I just asked a question. I said, who made you savior? Because God is the one who saves the lives. We don't. God is the one who brings the healing. We don't. And so we even coined a phrase in our pregnancy center that we said over every single woman as she walked out of our doors, if she chooses life, God gets the glory. If she chooses abortion, God gets the pain. Mm. It is not ours to hold. And God, God can... Connect with a woman in the middle of the night and she will choose life for her baby. That has nothing to do with us. But for mm-hmm. some reason, when it comes to abortion or the healing of women who have had abortions, we carry it so deeply, um, unintentionally sometimes, but unnecessarily mm-hmm. as well.
0: I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I um, have learned to not carry it as much. I don't think that I, d- I think that I still do, but not like some people do, because I can remember when I was at the pregnancy center, a gal walked out, you know, undecided, and they were just on the floor, basically, in my estimation, distraught over this decision. And I'm like, what can we do? And I almost felt cold hearted. So I wonder if there is an element of, well, if I don't, if I don't show and display this emotion, then somehow I'm cold hearted and I'm not caring, which is not true. Mm hmm. Well, and
2: you know, one simple thing I learned when I was pregnant Hmm. all those years ago in that very difficult pregnancy with my sin ever before me, Mm -hmm. right? You can't hide pregnancy. So I wondered what all those people were thinking. Here I am in a very difficult situation and I'm the leader of a Christian ministry so Mm -hmm. when i was worried about what people thought about me it was like god took his my face in his hands almost like a horse with blinders on when they're in a race and he said robin you just look at me as long Mm -hmm. as you and i are good you're good don't worry about anything those people those people think yeah Mm -hmm. and so ultimately each one of us reports to god yeah to to please him in what we do um yeah
0: Robin, I think we could probably talk for a really long time, Um, but uh, what I'd like to do is just spend the last few minutes going to, I want to go back to the whole burnout. I would like to just, I know you said the symptoms are different for each person and it can be different from compassion fatigue to burnout and burnout never looks the same. So what are some indicators that we can be identifying in our own self, or what are some questions we need to be asking our own self? Mm.
2: Well, I have, I'll give you eight ideas to help you avoid burnout. How about that?
0: That's a good idea. Um,
2: And I would say if you really feel like you're dealing with burnout, it's not something you can handle alone. So if you're in true burnout, you may need to connect with a, a therapist, a coach, a pastor, a spiritual director. Um, But it's generally not something you can heal on your own because you have huge blind spots, you might not even really be able to see how you got there. Um, But the first one is leave work at work. Um, I got a desktop computer and stopped bringing my laptop to and from. I took my work email off my phone. I could get to it, but I had to ask myself if I really wanted to do that, and I trained the board and staff to not contact me after hours unless it's an emergency. So you have to learn to leave work at work. Um, Can we stop right there
0: for that real quick? I want to make a comment on that because I think that that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because Mm -hmm. with the advent of texting and our cell phones and all this access that we have, we somehow feel like we have to be Mm -hmm. available. And there's a pressure that I think we put on ourselves. And so when we say, you know what, I'm no longer available at this time, I think internally we feel like we're somehow not measuring up, we're not doing enough work, we're not being compassionate mm. enough, we're not being loving by making ourselves available 24 hours a day, we have to be available on the weekends and on the evenings. And that wasn't the case so many years ago before, the, before cell phones and texting and e- even before email, we had to come home and we were done. People didn't have our home phone numbers. It wasn't like, well, let me just call her at home, even if she's in the middle of dinner. But now it's like I can text while I'm in the middle of dinner and nobody will even know it. You know, and or I have
2: to trust that God is big enough.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: To handle them all. Right.
0: Yeah. Yes. Thank you. That was um, go ahead.
2: (laughs) So number two is establish and keep firm boundaries. You must learn to say No. Uh, And you must learn to put what is most important above those urgent things. So you have to guard your time with God and family. Um, If I couldn't have quiet time at home, then when I got to the office, I would shut my door. And if my door was closed, they knew not to interrupt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I would be spending time with God. Um, So that's number two, learn to say no um and number three schedule a personal retreat it's really scary and i can't tell you the vast numbers of leaders i have recommended doing this i have had maybe three wow, actually follow through and do it it's scary because you rent an airbnb somewhere i even tell people even if maybe you have friends that are going out of town offer to house sit for them But you do have to be intentional about what you do on that retreat, you can't just sit and binge watch something on Netflix. You know, I had one of the retreats I went to God said, you can't even bring your phone can't even turn the TV on not even any worship music. That one was hard. um, Just to be quiet, just just to be quiet before that that is hard to
1: do. Well, and that is
0: scary because now what's inside all those voices you were talking about. Now we have to listen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I want to ask you a question on that before you move on, on scheduling a personal retreat. If somebody is listening and they're like, okay, I get it. Now, what do I do again when I'm there? Can they contact <laughs> you to kind of get maybe a,
2: a loose agenda? Or Ab- just- absolutely. Okay. They can contact me and okay. um, I would be more than happy to share my personal retreat agenda stuff that I do. But generally the first night I just do something fun. Like I watch Pride and Prejudice every year (laughs) on that first night, I go get a pizza that I love with all the toppings that I want, Um, buy all of my favorite food, I can eat whatever I want, I can have a steak for breakfast, it just doesn't matter, right? Um, Or I can fast. I I don't like those as well, but I've done those (laughs) also. Who does? And then, you know, I get a good night's sleep. And that first thing that first morning, man, I'm up and I'm doing work with God. Um, so I like to go to the beach when I can, uh, but even if I can't go to the beach, I need somewhere where I can walk. Right.
0: Yeah. It's good. Okay. Number four. Okay.
2: Number four, write your to-do list at the end of each day. So, you know, you've captured it for the next. So you don't have to keep pondering all those things. It's just a very simple thing that just takes five minutes, but it's like, I'm going to close the door to work, but here's where I was, this is what I, where I need to start the next morning. Very simple thing, but it can be really helpful.
0: Now, I love that, because um, I think that we need to do and practice that. Um, fortune, unfortunately for me, and I'll just throw this out there, because I think other people uh, might think this way too, I forget and it's like I have delayed remembering. And so it's when I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I rarely wake up in the middle of the night with something like that. It happened just the other night. And I was like, I better get up and write that down now. I got it, made a note, went back to bed and I was able to sleep. But um, normally it's in the morning, right before I do my quiet time, I'm looking over my day and I'm remembering, oh, I, ta- I forgot about this and this. And what didn't I do yesterday? And I kind of get it all done. And then I sit down with my quiet time. So, That's, but I love that you at least pick a time. I think that's the most important thing is pick a time when you can make sure you've got your whole day, you know, figured out for the most part. And -hmm. keep, do you recommend keeping a notebook when you are um, doing your quiet time to write down? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I had a, I had a work Bible, just a blank journal that was my brain for work. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So if I was doing my quiet time and my brain got hijacked, I would yes. pull that Bible out and write, write that thing down. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Okay. So number five, diet and exercise. We all know this, eat less junk and more veggies, mm-hmm. you know, schedule it's time, most to walk simple thing. Or exercise, yes. any kind of movement's going to help your brain.
0: Yes. I heard it say recently that motion is lotion for the, for the joint, the joints. And so it's um yeah. really good for your joints. We're not made to sit.
2: No, and I do. I
0: sit way too much.
2: I do too.
0: Yeah. Go ahead.
2: I do too. Number six, drink more water. Mm. I don't know if you realize by the time we're thirsty, you're already dehydrated.
0: Mm. So yes.
2: just need to drink more water. Number seven, focus on a good night of sleep. It's, we just all know how sleep is so critical. And I'm 60. So, you know, I'm of that age where sleep is sometimes elusive for us women, but um, do whatever it takes to get that good night of sleep. Yeah, very important. Yeah. And number eight, schedule social activities that make you happy with people you love and guard those um, activities with everything you have. Uh, if you have that date night with your husband, do it. If you have the ability to spend time with your children or your grandchildren, uh, make that a priority. Uh, dinners, vacations, games, whatever. Game night. But you have to um, make those priority over work. So there's eight simple things that you can do that will help.
0: So if somebody thinks they're in burnout, real quick, um, as our last question, do they contact a coach or should they contact a counselor? Is coaching sometimes okay for people in burnout?
2: Um, Coaching was okay for me in burnout. I had a Christian coach. um, He had dealt with it before so you know he knew how to work through that Mm -hmm. um i know for me as a coach there have been people i have talked with and i'm like no you need to contact a counselor okay (laughs) okay (laughs) i know know enough how to identify that i have my degree in social work um, and i had a lady who came to one of my retreats that i lead for executive directors of pregnancy centers and I was like, sister, you need to go find a counselor. And she did. And she thanked me profusely later. She said, that was really what I needed. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. You know, when I was in burnout and as a, as a closing story, I laid on my bed in a fetal position and cried for a week and said, Lord, take my life. Now, I wasn't going to kill myself, but I certainly didn't want to keep going. And I questioned Everything I didn't even think I was saved. Like, am I even really saved? Have I ever heard from you? These are the questions mm-hmm. going through my mind. Why is this happening? And I did start seeing a counselor. This is the only thing I knew to do. I didn't even know coaching existed at the time, um, which I know it's been around for a long time. And, but as I look back on it, I really didn't need a counselor. I needed somebody to help me see the truth. That's all I needed is help me guide me to the truth through that good question answering process. Because or question asking process, which is what coaches do is they ask really thoughtful questions to help you dig deep into things that you already know to be true and help you. Yeah, you back know, to and coaching
2: Lord. is they say coaching is really a facilitated monologue. Yeah, most people know what they need to do. They're just right. not doing it. Right. So a they want to Yeah. They don't want to think, they don't want to think about it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Robin. I'm in- interrupting you. Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're just talking over each other. Yes, it's
0: all- we are. Well, I have enjoyed having you on. I've, I enjoyed the conversations we've had up to this point. And, um, I feel like, um, we could sit down and connect over coffee or tea any day. It's just, you're on the, on the other coast and I'm almost on the <laughs> other coast. So it's not going to happen right now, but, um, we are so grateful that you came on thank you for sharing with us this is really good insight and i pray that um those listening will take note of the whole importance of getting away and getting on a personal retreat and really just reflecting and getting a hold of robin and finding out what those good questions would be for reflection and for and for vision casting and goal setting and and how that might look for you so you can get a hold of robin at coaching Robin Fuller at gmail.com.
2: Coach Robin Fuller.
0: Oh, forgive me. I don't know why I have coaching on there.
2: Coach Robin Fuller at gmail.com. Robin with an I.
0: Okay. And that makes a lot more sense. Okay. And I'm going to have that in the show notes um, as well. So Robin, thank you for today.
2: You are so welcome. And my website, if anybody's interested is just robinfuller.coach
0: Oh, okay. So it's not bloom coaching.
2: Nope. It's robinfuller.coach.
1: All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your story and your, your vulnerability. And um, I just in awe of how God is using you um, across the country. So thank you. Mm.
2: Yes. Thank you both so much.